Arli, please come and take over. And uh, Lars. Nick, I understand you've saved the best for last. It's my great pleasure to introduce the crew tanker panel uh, uh, today. We've got a, a, what I believe is one of the most interesting markets to discuss. And as soon as uh, we all join here, I'll, we'll, we'll get the discussion rolling. I appreciate that we have to move very efficiently now. My name's Arlie Sterling. I've had the pleasure of following the, the shipping markets, the crew tanker market. Sorry, do we have enough chairs? We do now. We do now? Okay. Okay. Okay, that's cool. There we go. I don't count chairs as well as I count tankers, I guess. I've had the pleasure of following the market for, for the last 35 years. During that time, I, I thought I began to develop some understanding of, of what's going on and, and, and look forward to hearing from the panel today about how they have developed their understanding of the market and, uh, and how they're adapting their strategies going forward to what is a very, very dynamic market. So let me start with introductions. Uh, uh, Lars, why don't you lead it off? Who are you and why are you here? Well, my name is Lars Barsta. Uh, I represent Frontline. Uh, we're a tanker owner listed both in Oslo and in New York. Uh, we have uh, about 65 vessels uh, on the water. Um, evenly split between uh, VLCC, Suez Maxis, and uh, LR2 Safra Maxis. Um, I think that's about it. Lois? Yeah, thank you. Lois Sabraki. I'm the CEO of International Seaways, and we are listed on the New York Stock Exchange under INSW, and we have about 50 tankers. We're two-thirds crude, one-third product. Hello, my name is Estes Alafuzos. I represent Tokenis Echo Tankers. I'm the Chief Operating Officer. Slightly smaller company than the two previous tanker owners. We have 15 ships, uh, of which eight are on order, eight VLCCs, four Suez Maxes, and three LR2s. Uh, we're listed in the Mercury market in Norway. First of all, thank everybody for staying. I, I wouldn't have, quite frankly, this late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bob Burke, Ridgebury Tankers. Uh, we have 21 uh, vessels, uh, two thirds crude and one third uh, clean. Hi, I'm Paul Durham. I see my name is the last one on the program. I hope this wasn't graded according to age. I'm the CFO of Chakos Energy Navigation Limited, um, based in Athens. We have 66 tankers, um, of which uh, 34 are crude carriers, but actually 48 of them are currently uh, trading in crude. Thank, okay. you very, thank you very much. If you all remember from last year's panel at this time, 2018 started with great promise. This was the year that we were finally over that terrible pace of deliveries of, of crude tankers to the market, where demand would finally take over as the driver, and we'd see the recovery beginning. That, I think, was the thesis where the panel differed in detail, but that was the big picture. So far, unless I've missed something, for well, I guess for the last three or four weeks, we've begun to see that now emerge. But the first half of this year has been a disaster. 
has been the, some of the lowest earnings that this industry has, has seen in our databases since 1980, over the, the first half of the year. So you'd think that the industry would kind of pull in its horns, that the players would be conservative and, 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 and just try to survive. Instead, the opposite has taken place. The VL in particular, but the crude tanker market in general, has been one of the most dynamic in terms of innovative decision making on the part of the owners. And we have a chance to hear about the thinking going on here. If you all remember, at the beginning of the year, we had 35 VLCC scrap, most ever. The fleet actually shrunk. I think, uh, Kim, you were saying that we needed that purging. Well, we had it for, for a month or two in the, in the VLs, but lest you think, that there was a risk of a shortage of VLCCs, more than 35 have been ordered so far this year. And the year's not over yet. Some 30%, possibly some 30% of the VLCC fleet will be scrubberized by 2020. 30%. That's a number that we all ought to know. I don't know it well enough. But that has some very significant implications for the market. And owners have made critical decisions about how they're going to grow their fleet, how they're going to expand, whether or not they're going to consolidate or play a small, nimble player in the market. So we've had owners make sharp distinctions, not just wait for the market recovery, but make difficult decisions about how to prepare themselves for that recovery, how to play the winning game in this market. And over the course of the next 34 minutes, we're going to have a chance to hear from each of the owners here about how they plan to run their business, how they plan to succeed going forward. First of all, I'm going to start by asking everyone to talk very briefly about the supply and demand context and, and what they see going forward. Uh, uh, maybe, Lois, if you wouldn't mind starting off on this one. We, we, uh, we, we see a, a demand recovery. Marsoft and, and our team back in, in Boston see the demand recovery see U.S. exports, crude oil exports being a big part of that. What are the other, do you agree that we'll be seeing a re recovery in demand and, and, and where do you see it coming from? You know, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that the U.S. Gulf, I mean, some of the projections are that we would double exports up to 4 million barrels a day, um, potentially by the end of 2020. And part of that could be uh, the pulling out of the lighter crude and importing the heavier crude that the U.S. refineries can actually um, optimize. Mm. And um, some of that trade, I think, will, will really help uh, the ton mile demand as refineries that don't have a lot of high technical capability um, pull on the sweet light crude, mm. right? So it seems to me the U.S. Gulf, Brazil, um, some of these areas, uh, I think, that we'll see um, increases. It'd be great if Venezuela was able to recover. I don't think we should count on that. Lars, what about you? What do you see? Well, first of all, um, you know, with the new orders, we actually need these ships. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, kind of approaching a period of time where um, all the new ships, you know, in the single-hull, double-hull uh, kind of uh, phase, uh, are coming to age and becoming 20 years. Hmm. Um, so you could say the order book is, say, 16, 15% of the existing fleet, but 9% are going to be more than 20 years in the same period. And we have growth kind of in demand for tankies. So I, I don't see that as alarming kind of uh, as it is right now. Hmm. 
And do you see, do you look for any particular source of demand growth? Is there anything that stands out uh, in the market today as something that, that, that you're watching? Well, kind of very short term, it's obviously the Iranian situation that uh, might kind of be the catalyst that we're, uh, the market is, is looking for. Um, you know, any, any kind of political change uh, may kind of make the trading patterns turn. And, uh, and we, we see it as, as uh, quite possible that uh, particular Asia will source crude kind of from further away. Like Louis mentioned, uh, obviously US as an export country um, plays a huge role. Um, but in general, I, I think kind of now with scrapping and, uh, and a more balanced market, uh, the, you know, the last year's theme was uh, the inventory draws, just as, mm. as with, uh, with the, the clean sector. I think we're, we're probably at a level where inventories are not going to draw much. Uh, we might even see building again. Uh, so I think kind of all those factors together points towards a normal seasonal kind of upswing in the market. Bob, do you think we're going to see a normal seasonal upturn in the market? Um, well, first of all, I, I don't think we need, need any more ships. <laughs> I, I, does anyone else think we need ships? Um, <laughs> ships are slow steaming, ships are laid up, ships are being scrapped before the natural uh, expiration dates. Um, rates are below operating costs in some circumstances, certainly below break-even levels for most people who have bought ships that, um, you know, in a, in a quote-unquote ordinary market. Uh, banks are very concerned about restructurings or uh, covenant breaches across the board. Um, you know, I don't remember a time when we ever needed more ships except during World War II, and I don't really remember that period. Um, so I, I understand your point that <laughs> It's not overly worrisome, but uh, need might be a bit strong. Um, so I was so excited there, I forgot your question, aren't we? <laughs> Bob, you've got to stay focused. This is the demand focus, side focus question. This is demand, demand side. Demand. When, when is it, how is demand going to recover in this uh, for the crew tankers? Yeah, I, I agree with the comments about demand. It, it's the demand has been there. Um, oil demand increases 1.45, 6 million barrels a day um, almost every year. And every time I, they seem to be adjusting upwards a little bit. Um, of course, you know, we're focused on ton miles and, um, you know, I think uh, the disruption in, in 2020 will increase demand. I mean, the, the problem we have as an industry, of course, is we, we see that and we order ships, we get excited and order more ships to anticipate that. You know, it's the tragedy of the commons. So um, I think the demand will be there. The question is, will too many ships be there to service the demand? So we've got, uh, we've got 2020 and, and, and all that that brings. We've got the U.S. Gulf. We've, we've got uh, possibly more Asian demand shifting to, to Iran, I guess. Uh, Aristides, what, do you, what can you add to that picture? Sorry, Bob and I are sharing. Sure. Yeah, you're competing for a microphone there. Sorry. We're, we're the two smallest group, please, so we have to share. <laughs> Although you didn't share the coffee. No, I didn't. I gave it to Lois. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree both Lars and Lois that um, the end of the inventory period means that any incremental demand will be satisfied by seaborne imports, which is obvious, obviously all, um, positive, as well as the new refineries that are opening up in Malaysia and China will help improve the demand, as well as the disruptions caused by the IMO 2020 changes. Mm -hmm. Paul, any, any thoughts from your end of the table? Well, not really. I mean, that's pretty well said it all. I, uh, if I can just summarize then, we're looking at uh, tremendous uh, production. That's something that's been missing uh, for the past year or so. And that um, extra production, not just the US, we're talking about Russia and uh, generally OPEC as well, and even Brazil. Um, we're looking at low inventories for a change. So they've come down considerably. So they've got to come up again. Uh, there are new refineries. 
China and India especially. Uh, the 2020 build-up, um, which is going to be um, exceptionally good for crude carriers and, as we heard just early, a little earlier, uh, for, for product carriers. And lastly, um, consumer demand is there. I mean, every year we're getting an extra, you know, another billion little brats. So, um, <laughs> well, Paul, you can reassure me. The only thing that is, 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 is uh, um, disappointing is that they can't drive cars yet. So, uh. On the consumer demand front, you'll be reassured, Paul, to hear that I, I bought myself a new truck and uh, got no scrubbers, just burns a lot of uh, gasoline all the time. So uh, I'm doing my bit to help the, the tank market. Lars, let me challenge you a little bit on, the, on your fleet growth. Uh, let me question you, excuse me, about the, the fleet growth questions. Since when does a VLCC need to be scrapped in 17 years? I thought they were built for 25. Yeah, no, they, they are in, in a way. Uh, the challenge is that our clients don't really want to freight them after 20 years. So, so it becomes a challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've last year I also spoke about the regulatory framework tightening and uh, us, the poor owners, have to, you know, we have to maintain, we have to kind of certify, we have to have all the stamps and all the checks and everything in order, in order to, to, um, to comply with, with uh, the charter's demands. And, and we're seeing a general trend that uh, charters, at least now when as, uh, freight is too cheap, they, they uh, kind of you know, they, they, they would rather have a ship that's less than 15 years. Less than 15 years? Yes. So, so whenever your, sh your ship kind of passes that uh, age, uh, it start, you know, it limits the amounts of clients you have. And it's, it's not only the oil majors, it's the terminals, it's uh, kind mm. of, you know, in order to, to, to properly trade your, your ship across uh, the globe. Yeah, Arlen, can I make one comment on that? I mean, the charters certainly want newer ships. Um, they want, they don't need. I mean, these assets are built for excess of 20 years, 25 years. So, you know, I, I would say that by having the oil majors and traders insist on younger ships, it's actually less ecologically um, responsible because you, it takes a lot of energy to build a ship and make steel and then to scrap it again and, and recycle it in, in something less than 20 years. And, you know, they, they want new ships. They don't need them. I mean, the difference between need and want is subtle. But I can summarize it up. And my wife, my wife wants a mink coat. The mink, he needs it. And um, <laughs> the charters want new ships. They don't need them. But it's the market we face, and we were price takers, and we have to, you know, we're slaves to what, what they demand. Lois, let me let me continue on this point for a moment. The the um, ships between, say, older than 50, VLCCs older than 15 years old, mm -hmm. can they compete with younger ships? I mean, are, isn't there, are there differences in fuel consumption and, and other aspects of the operation that makes them less competitive? Well, you know, I, I'm going to look at that from two different perspectives, and, and I would certainly say that, you know, if you take a 15-year-old ship and then if you take a, you know, new building, your difference in uh, daily consumption um, can easily be 20 to 25 tons a day. I mean, it can be that dramatic and significant. So I think if it was only the efficiency between the old and the new, or if it was only ballast water treatment installation, or if it was only that you would either need a scrubber or you have to then pay another $300 per ton, um, the, the 15 years plus would be less marginalized. But as an owner, and when you look at a vessel that's 17 and a half years old and you now are less efficient, you are going to have to put in ballast water. You, you know, you're looking at either putting in a scrubber or remaining now 
incrementally worse off, you know, it gets to be a very tough decision. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, in, in a contangled oil market, a VLCC can very easily store. You're not going to be consuming. You can sit there and make a lot of money. It's a very efficient ship. They are built for 25 years. I agree with Bob. It's our own fault. Like, we have um, spoiled the charters. So they can afford to have somewhat arbitrary standards. Aristides, one of the, the issues about the, 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 uh, the need for new building vessels, I guess, is the need for capital and the need for bank debt typically to support them. Have you found any limitations on, on investments, uh, investors or bankers in terms of looking at, at uh, VL, uh, crew tanker new builds? Yeah. Um, just to add to the previous question about the age of the yeah. ships, um, luckily we're in a position where on a fully delivered basis our fleet's very young, so like we'll have 1.7 years average age and we don't mm -hmm. have the question of the surveys of the scrubbers and ballast water treatment because they're already installed, but you have the element of the efficiency on the newer vessels. And then the other element is that over a certain age you can maybe trade with certain charters once you're over 15 or 17 and a half. So, and that optionality is key to maximizing your commercial uh, profit. Hmm. And then the last element that w over our experience is that for every year the vessel ages, we have an additional 250, 200 to $250 per day extra operating cost. So if you have a 10-year-old ship, in our experience, we have an extra $2,500 a day worth of spare parts, paint, so there is an incremental daily operating cost as well. And in addition to that, once you're over 15, you have to dry dock your ship in the intermediary survey also. So that's like, instead of every five years having an off-hire period, it's every two and a half years. And um, go to the finance question. Again, we're in a lucky position because the, the main shareholder uh, has a long experience in the shipping market. So we do have access to the traditional banks of, in Europe and traditional bank finance, mm -hmm. uh, which is still attractive and they can lend at relatively high margins, uh, relatively high LTVs with relatively low margins. Obviously there's also alternative capital, which is more expensive, but if you have a solid name in the market, you can access that for higher LTVs or more complicated structures. Do you believe that uh, therefore newcomers with less solid names or, or who may be less familiar with uh, to, to shipping bankers will have a harder time getting finance for, for new buildings than they were, say, two years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think so, yes. Lois? Uh, to, you know, to me, it's, it's sort of like the, one of the questions you had on the last panel is, you know, oh, how many MRs can Korea build? But yeah. nobody even talked about GSI in China. You know, oh, you know, ship owners can't find money. I mean, you know, to some degree, it's for our own good that, that there's less finance just readily available everywhere. And whenever you say, oh, there's not finance available, five ship owners will go and prove you wrong. So, you, you know, to me, it's, it's um, a little bit of tightening up in the market um, can be a good thing for the long-term health of the market. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. Right. So, uh, Paul, let, let me shift gears a little bit. Uh, uh, I think at uh, last year's panel you emphasized that you had charter covered and that that was really the critical part of your thinking about all aspects of your strategy. Uh, 
uh, that's turned out to be a pretty darn good bet uh, when <coughs> rates have been, spot rates have been so low as, as they've been. Um, have you found any difficulty getting capital, gaining access to capital to pursue projects that you'd like to in this market? No, very, very, uh, well, none, to be honest. We, we haven't had any problems at all because that's what the banks want. They want to see their vessels chartered, uh -huh. vessels that they're financing chartered for a, a long term to a blue chip uh, charterer. So that's been our aim to build up our and maintain and sustain our liquidity over this uh, poor time. Um, it hasn't prevented us from looking at um, opportunities, um, but those opportunities for us have always have to be always have to be vessels that we're building for charter to a blue chip uh, client, mm -hmm. and the banks queue up to provide the finance for those kind of deals. We've also looked at um, secondhand vessels, mm -hmm. uh, and preferably those that come in digestible fleets. Um, How which big is a digestible fleet? Sorry to bother you, uh, uh, break in here. What's a digestible fleet? A big, small? Mm -hmm. Biggish. Biggish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've looked at uh, the, those kind of opportunities as well, taking into account will a bank be prepared to help us in this kind of deal? Uh, and to our delight, uh, they were. Happy to provide the finance for that kind of deal. From our point of view, however, we took a step back and said, well, okay, okay, we have the ability to raise finance for the kind of deals we would like to do, but this kind of deal is a biggie, and we have no idea when this uncertainty is going to stop. How much longer are we going to see these kind of historically low rates? So we had to you know, ask ourselves, do we, what's our priority, the liquidity or fleet growth? And in the end, we had to, um, I wouldn't say get, we didn't get cold feet, but we certainly got tepid feet, and we backed uh, back down. And we decided we can't really, we can afford to do it at the present moment, but it's too risky to go forward with this kind of new debt. You had access to capital, but the, the weaker-than-expected market conditions in the first half of the year raised con sufficient concerns for you to decide to defer exactly, investment. Exactly. It weakened our desire to, to proceed. Let, let, me, let me throw this open to the panel. We had VL rates $5,000 a day for the first six months of, of the, this year. Was that a, a problem? Did that prevent you from taking investments that you regarded as attractive? Bob, we'll start out with you. No, it was great. Um, it was great, you yeah, said. Yeah, it was just great. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, when you, when you already have a position, you get torn because you want to you, you find a good deal, <coughs> so you want the price to be lower, but also you're holding a book, so you're, you're worried about that, and it comes to uh, you know, a balancing act. And the same thing with your investors or the investor world. Um, they want a good entry point. And that's another problem with shipping. Whenever you see a um, presentation, they always have good entry point. Um, and, and it's always a good entry point. And, and, and the times it's going really well are, are few and far between, but that's what we all bet for. That's, that's why we're here. So, um, I mean, certainly everyone has been squeezed except for folks who have all their vessels on time charter. Uh, and it's been an uncomfortable period for everybody you know, across the board. And uh, not just uncomfortable, but discouraging. I was talking to Marco outside. He says, you know, every day I come in the office and it's, you know, it's just discouraging because it's the middle of the summer and rates are 5,000, 6,000. You know, they went up uh, 
twenty percent. They went up a thousand bucks a day. You know, let's go. Let's go buy lunch. Um, <laughs> so it is. It is discouraging, and you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, you know what? This is the time when you look back in three years and say, I should have done something then. Which again is what Marco said. You know, uh, that's when I should have done something. Because we all know we've all been here before. The market is going to change, and the rates are going to go up, and the asset values are going to go up. And what you have to do is position yourself so you buy the right assets at the right point in the market. It may mean new bills with charters. It may mean buying assets that will react very positively to 2020, and you can get your capital costs down low. Um, and it, it probably means at this point in the market not over-leveraging too much, because first of all, the leverage isn't there. So at this point in the market, I think you need something um, that's not over-levered if you're going to go in. So Bob, it sounds like you had to forego opportunities that you might want and under other situations have uh, gone after. Is that? No, um, we looked at a, we've looked at a, we were constantly looking at opportunities, and um, you know we didn't pass on any deals that yeah. Lars, any comments from you? Well, I, I just agree with Bob. Uh, you, you get into to to work every day, and and uh, you just get depressed, kind of looking at the screens. Uh, but uh, and it's also it has something to do with your conviction, right? Uh, so so and if conviction is low, then then obviously you're not going to be as aggressive. Kind of pursuing, uh, pursuing acquisitions or or, or uh, things like that, and and you you get into like defense mode uh, financially, so you, you to, to in order to manage your your running business uh, and and basically keep the chips in the game uh, for as long as you can. Um, but I don't think it's uh, for us. Uh, it hasn't really stopped us. It's just that uh, you know we, uh, as everybody knows, we, we have pursued a few opportunities, um, but um, it's we haven't had. Maybe the conviction um, kind of during those uh, negotiations, basically due to the the market. Hmm. Lois, you've you've been pretty active. What uh, have you managed to carry on that strategy while the market's been so crummy? Now you know it's interesting because you know we have also sold older ships during this year. You know right. on uh, some of our vessels that you think a really hard decision to sell a seventeen and a half year old VLCC. Um, you know not for further trading. And on the flip side, we have been able to uh, invest in the last 18 months that we've been um, independent, spent $600 million on modern, uh, seven modern Vs and two brand new uh, resale Suez Maxes, which are all very efficient ships. And now I'm ready for a good market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is, you know, we, yeah. we feel like, you know, to, to Paul's point, you know, you don't want to get to a point where you're not comfortable with the leverage. You don't know exactly when the market is going to turn. You can do all your homework, and then um, you know an overnight tweet can can all of a sudden make your market you know not materialize the way that you thought it would. So uh, it's really important to have discipline and, and to make sure that um, you know like some, our joint ventures provide us with some cash flows, and that helps during those rough times mm. because you don't know exactly when that market's um, going to recover. Although, of course, you have a view. So there have been investments made over the course of the past year for new ships that are traditional play the cycle or play the market opportunity. There have been investments in other technologies that are distinct from the market cycle, scrubbers, obviously. Uh, and uh, the panel has taken different positions on, on, on that. Uh, Lois, I'll let you lead off with, with how you're thinking in that regard and then maybe mm -hmm. turn to Lars. So I, I guess I would make it a, a really broad uh 
issue that I think ship owners are actually um, admirably dealing with because we have to comply and we will comply with the regulations come January um, 1st, 2020. We all have a big fleet. You know, we have 50 vessels. So we, we put out an announcement today that um, we contracted for seven scrubbers on our VLCCs option three. And it really is um, something of a portfolio approach where you look at, um, you know, you're, you're talking about your exposure between heavy sulfur fuel oil and not even MGO. We don't really even have a 0.5 spec today. Um, you know, for ship owners, I think it's it's really uh, it's it's coming at us. We will deal with it. And at the end of the day, you know, ship owners will have to be able to pass a majority of this cost on through. It's really what the world decides we will are willing to pay to have a greener planet, right? So that means, you know, on, in a down market, it's very tough for owners, but ultimately that will flow through to the diesel that people burn in trucks and, um, you know, it comes all the way through. So I look at it as like it's a whole portfolio approach. And for us, it seems wise to be, um, I don't like to use the word hedged, um, but partially de-risked um, by installing some of the scrubbers. Lawrence. Yeah, no, we, we um, very much the same kind of approach. Um, uh, I think, you know, first of all, uh, the uncertainty kind of around uh, IMO and, and the, the 2020 date was, was, was kind of taken away in March, April. Right. And that was when most of the owners started to act. Uh, obviously, some has planned for a long period of time. Uh, Frontline has been looking at it for, for a period, but, but we, we chose to, to go kind of a little bit different way. Uh, and I have to put emphasis on that because, and I've discussed it with the investors today as well, uh, putting these scrubbers on the ships is actually a technical challenging uh, act. It's, it's, the scrubbers themselves are really simple, it's not really high tech, but uh, you know, not, uh, there is, even sister ships are different kind of with piping and all that stuff. So, so engineering is a huge part of installing a scrubber. Uh, we we found that uh, a direct collaboration between ourselves and a producer was was kind of a, a good way to 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 to, to approach or kind of the or attack the the, the challenge. So, uh, but uh, agree with Louis. You know, we we committed kind of for for a few ships uh, at this point uh, following the docking schedule, um, and uh, we'll just see how how kind of uh, things develop from that. What's the relevance of the docking schedule given the scale of the uh, premiums in 2020? Well, you could say that, um, that uh, but then again, we, we're, we're actually up against an unknown price and an unknown product. So, so you know, it's uh, kind of 0.5% is not gas oil. It's a blend. Right, no, no yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely so, so, appreciate so, that. So it's, it's kind of risks with, with the entire situation is, is kind of new to us owners. So, so um, you know, we could go all the way and just scrub up every ship uh, at any point of time, you know, when they're near uh, a yard, but we're not doing that investment now. If you can't synchronize it, Arlie, then you're going to end up with two dry docks, right? So you're going to end up with double out of service time and, and it becomes very expensive for an owner. Well, and, uh, and the dry dock can accelerate. If you do a dry dock, can it can accelerate or it will accelerate your ballast water treatment system extension. Okay. Is that danger also? That's a very good point. That's a very yeah. good point. Aristides, you got, uh, what can you share with us about your decisions on, on scrubbing? Well, I mean, being a fresh entry into the public markets, our whole approach was this eco scrubber fitted fleet. So our fleet is entirely echo and scrubber fitted. So we're in a bit of a dis different position than the other owners on this panel. 
Um, our decision was purely financial or economical in, in installing these and trying to take advantage of the disruption that's coming with the IMO 2020. It just uh, not everyone has is the same degree of insight or maybe as, as on this panel. You said you're both eco and you're scrubber. What, what does that mean, both eco and scrubber? Are they two different things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, our oldest ship was delivered in 2015. So we have three 2015 built Aftermaxes. We have four Suez Maxes average age built in 2017, and another eight VLCCs, which will be all delivered in 2019. All these ships have uh, updated uh, designs, which make them more efficient, as well as uh, derated engines, electronic engines. So there's a big difference between, let's say, a 2010 or 2005 ship consumption. and consumptions and the 2015 built ship. And on top of that, they also have the scrubbers, which allow them to burn HFO after January 1st of 2020. Mm -hmm. Paul, you're uh, you're talking to charters. Do they care about scrubbers, or uh, to what extent does their caring about scrubbers uh, reflect into the charter rates they're willing to to pay you? Well, we're in discussions now, so we haven't really come up with um, you know, a, 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 a finely defined uh, term as to uh, how we will treat the cost of uh, scrubbers between us. Um, our uh, attitude so far has been we will not put scrubbers in until we have uh, more advanced technology as far as uh, uh, scrubbers are concerned. We do not feel that the kind of technology that exists at the moment um, is adequate and what we're really scared about is that um, if we were to put scrubbers in our vessels, is there a risk that certain countries will decide we do not want you to deposit your sulfur into our waters or a sludge con which is contaminated right. if you're going to use the closed system, which is highly unlikely. Um, so that's really scared us, that there's a risk of paying four or five million dollars uh, to put a scrubber on one of our VLCCs and to find out a few months down the road, sorry, you can't do that in our waters. And even if it's proved that the sulfur is uh, not damaging to the environment, the, the concept that ship owners are dumping a certain chemical into the sea, even if you know, the fish thrive on it, you know, um, just a, appears disgusting. And uh, some politician somewhere down the line is going to make a name for himself by bringing in legislation that will ban those scrubbers. But I mean, I, it would be interesting to see how long, let's say, a VLCC trades within, like, economic waters of a country. You know, like when you're trading on a 90-day voyage, I think, how long do you actually trade within the economic zone of the United States that them outlawing discharge would apply for? Maybe one day, one and a half days maximum. Oh, in our case, we have a lot of days um, in the USA. Yeah. yeah the I mean, it's the term sulfuric acid in the water makes great headlines. Um, so I, I agree with Paul. I mean, the, pro the challenge we face is there are so many movable parts, and you've heard them all the past, today and for months in the past about, you know, the spread. The spread isn't perfect because there's not a 0 .05, 0 .5 right now, just a 0.1. Can you hedge it on paper? You can hedge it on paper, but there's a margin call. It could be tens of millions of dollars. You know, the technology, how long will they allow us to put the stuff in the water? Um, how long does a scrubber last? You know, are you going to put them on a new ship and then it looks like one of your A-track players five years from now with a big hole in the dashboard? Um, 
you know, does it get obsolete and you just have something you have to get rid of? And we don't have any real answers. That's what we all struggle with. And there is no right or wrong answer. Um, you know, Lois said the, 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 the market has to pay for it. And I, I don't think that's true now. I mean, the market, it will be incorporated in the capital cost of ships going forward. But the current ship owners have to bear that burden today. And I think what we're all trying to do is, as Lois said, hedge. And that hedge could be on some of the ships. It could be, you know, with your charterers. It could be on, you know, a, a new builds. And just trying to get through this with the least damage. You know, the, the philosophy that um, there's going to be a big spread, we're all going to be rich on the spread, um, that story gets diluted very quickly as more and more people put them on the big ships. If everyone, if there was one guy on a VL who had a scrubber and no one else did, he'd get all the margin for himself. If every single VL owner puts a scrubber on, well, then obviously the charters will take that benefit away from us because we'll just beat each other's brains out again and come down to whatever the TC is in its current state based upon a, uh, you know, a scrubber-fitted ship. So ideally, um, we end up somewhere with, you know, 30% or 25% of, of the vessels having scrubbers. Um, well, that, that's yeah. a really magic, uh, a magic number, and I must say the, the, the scrubber discussion of the VL market has taken a, an odd turn in the last several weeks, it, it, to my, is my impression. Uh, it used to be an opportunity discussion. Do you want to take advantage of an opportunity on the spread and, and be a first mover? possibly. And right. Now it becomes, if you don't have a scrubber, are you going to trade at a discount? Uh, and there's some, at some point, some, and the reason why it's most important, of course, in the VL market, as you well know, is that the, this is the segment of the shipping industry that has been most aggressive in adopting scrubbers. Uh, what's your take on that? We'll go quickly. Lars, well, well, is it a well, defensive strategy now or, or uh, is it still on offense? I, I think it's, uh, if you can say, it's a little bit of both, kind of. But uh, first of all, you know, it's, it's natural that you put the scrubbers on the highest consuming ships. Um, because that's when you, you know, your fuel saving is potentially the, the largest. Um, the, I, I think, uh, as also has been discussed uh, kind of around this, I think that an environmental benefit of putting a scrubber there is not really helping on emissions kind of in a, in a, in a, you know, in a big way, to be quite honest. I, I think we, we need to look further down IMO's roadmap uh, you know, to, to, to make some real change. Um, by the way, I think that will have some kind of upbringing effect on fleet growth going forward because if you're going to make a $90 million investment for something kind of that in 10 years needs to run on LNG, it's a completely different kind of investment decision to make. So hopefully that, that will help kind of the order books going forward. But back to your, your, your question, yeah, I think kind of once the legislation was cast in stone, I think uh, we went on, on the offensive, kind of. Uh, but but it's there are so many complications here with also running on compliant fuel. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. like a technical yeah, hedge actually to put uh, the scrubber in. So 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 it's uh, yeah it's kind of I've spent a lot of time in the technical department of Frontline the last couple of uh, months uh, to learn. All right, you've got 20 seconds each. The tweet you want to hear tomorrow morning, Bob. You're in my <laughs> backyard. What's the tweet you want to hear tomorrow morning? Now you've got 15 seconds. Think fast, Bob. <laughs> Suez Canal closes. <laughs> Suez Canal closes. That's, that's quite a tweet. Paul, we're governing by tweet now in the States, and this is something I'm just bringing, uh, bringing here to share the joy. Okay, the, 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 the tweeter goes and visits uh, Tehran uh, with open arms. The tweeter goes to visit with open arms. Very Lois. Um, uh, how about uh, the ch that China and the U.S. have, you know, no more uh, tariff war? Very good. Aristides, what's the tweet you want to hear? 
You had time to think about it. Uh, I mean, ours is definitely that IMO 2020 will happen January 1st. Ooh. Okay, that's the last tweet you're going to hear. I got to tell you, Lars. Oh no, Louis took mine actually. Um, uh, oh, you got seven. Well, seconds. it could be U.S. infrastructure is all ready to export more crude. Fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard the tweets. You've heard the future of the crude market. Thank you all very much. Well, thank you very much for a great panel, and Arlie, thank you for keeping the time. Thanks.